every day. Uh, it is, it's a relief, right? You're so worried about knowing everything or telling people that you know everything that you need to take the pressure off because I'm still learning every day. And there comes a point in time and a balance when it's okay, you know, that you accept that. Um, but the sooner you accept that, um, you know, the, the, the more fun it is because now it's like, it's just about learning. It's not about just closing the deal or getting the job or getting that grade or, or things like that. It really is about enjoying the process. A whole new era of communication in the beef industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global beef industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to the farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. Beef Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts. Contact us for time and labor-saving solutions. Welcome to the Beef Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global beef industry. Welcome to the Beef Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brandy Buzzard, and it's my pleasure to bring you the trending issues and topics with the best and brightest minds of the beef industry. Today, I am so excited to welcome Dr. Dan Thompson to talk with us. Dr. Thompson is a third-generation bovine veterinarian from Clearfield, Iowa. He earned his master's from South Dakota State, his PhD from Texas Tech, and his DVM from Iowa State. Dr. Thompson has had a long and exciting career in beef cattle health and production, ranging from feedlot veterinarian to Kansas State University to Iowa State University to cactus feeders and so much in between. Dr. Thompson is an internationally recognized leader in animal welfare and beef cattle production and has had a tremendous impact on students, stakeholders, and the beef industry through his devotion to beef cattle health, stewardship, education, and supply chain issues. I am so excited to have him here today with us on the show. Welcome, Dr. Thompson. Hey, thanks, Brandy, for having me. This is great to be here and uh, just so excited to spend time with you. Well, it has been a long time since we have talked and caught up. Um, I'm really excited to, uh, to see you and to talk to you. Um, I will admit, though, it's kind of odd to call you Dr. Thompson because I've called you Dr. Dan the entirety that I have known you. So, um, but that's fun for me. Uh, Dr. Thompson gave me, uh, has really done so much for me as a beef industry specialist, but also as a student. And like I said, I'm just so excited to have him here with us today. Um, just to jump right in and get started, you have had a really long career, lots of places, lots of experiences. Um, can you just tell us how you got started in the beef industry and with your veterinarian experience, how you got involved, your career path so far, and then, you know, what you're doing these days? Brandy, thanks for asking. Um, you know, it has been a great career. It's been uh, uh, because of great people that have taken chances on me or allowed me in to, to their network. But, uh, you know, I was raised in Southwest Iowa. My granddad started our vet clinic in 1938. My dad joined it in 67. Um, we were uh, small town mixed animal practitioners uh, back before swine integration uh, and nobody had working facilities. So we drove shoots around uh, southwest Iowa to preg cows and do pre-breeding uh, workups before turnout in the summer. So that's my, my childhood was spent on the front end of a manual shoot working cattle uh, for everybody all summer. And then, you know, I went to Iowa State. And I went to work for for uh, the beef nutrition farm, 
while I was in, in class. And I learned how to, I'd never been around cattle feed. Now in Southwest Iowa is pretty much cow calf. And I fell in love with, with the feedlot system here at Iowa state. And I fed on the weekends and rode pens and, and just tried to learn everything I could and, and decided that was going to be my, my career path because of my experiences, um, here and, 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 you know, it, it from there, uh, just, Knowing that's what I wanted to do, I set out to network with people. I set out to to learn uh, as much as I possibly could every minute about what was going on, and 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 so as went to South Dakota State and Texas Tech to follow cattle feeding with some of the best ruminant nutritionists, and then wound up settling in West Texas in a practice, and and so it you know little things that you do or little impacts that you think you have you're sitting there as a faculty member or someone that owns a business or you, you accept that student on an internship you, you never know what fire it's going to ignite and uh from there um you know basically my whole career has been about serving others in the beef industry and whether it's students or whether it's uh stakeholders and producers and veterinarians it's been about, okay, well, what's the problem? All right, let's figure out how to fix it. Uh, and let's find some solutions or let's find the people that can bring the solutions. And so that's uh, what I've done for 20 some years, uh, whether it's been veterinary practice for my clients or whether it's in academia for, for our students or if it's just in the community, um, you know, with our schools, it's, it's all interrelated and and um, it's being engaged, it's listening and, and uh, following through. Yeah, you just have had such a long career with so many different experiences. Um, and, you, you know, you mentioned you were at Iowa State for your undergraduate degree and your DBM. Um, how has veterinary medicine changed? So, you know, take yourself back to when you were getting your DBM and then comparison today. And, you know, you teach veterinary medicine, so you're very in tune with what's happening. How does it differ today from when you were earning your degrees? Yeah, the, I want to say the biggest uh, difference is it's gotten so specialized, and it's and it's and it's it's you know we don't have the the environment anymore of of hey you're going to make mistakes um, and but you know you you fail forward, and I think that that's something that that we miss. And, and the other one is, is making sure, you know, that the students have the techniques in their hands, um, making sure that they have the practical experience. Um, you know, we, we were doing surgeries and doing, uh, things in, in veterinary school before we got out, uh, rather than now it's, it's kind of playing it safe. And, and we only do some of the spay neuters for surgeries. And then you get out and you do your first C-section on a cow, but by the family holding the flashlight. And, and so it's, it's, you know, I think that's what be, remember the technical skills, uh, getting those in the hands, uh, or something that's, that's changed. And the other thing that's, that has to change is, uh, the heroes in our profession are the people in the trenches and the veterinarians out serving their communities. Um, People in universities are not smarter than people out in practice. They just have more time. 
and they have a different job and a different role and they have more help and they have better uh, tools and better technologies and things like that to help. And so while we all have a role, um, the thing that, that, you know, when I went through uh, the private practitioner, the mixed animal practitioner was the, the, the North star or the, 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 the Michael Jordan or, or whatever, you know, and, and making sure that that remains in our profession is, is vitally important. Well, that's, it's really interesting. You're talking about specialties and, um, and of course, of course, for the listeners on here, I don't have a veterinary degree. Um, so I'm not familiar with, uh, and Dr. Dan knows that, but I'm not familiar with those things. So I did not really know that that change, you know, has happened, that there's not as much of that, like technical hands on, but Speaking as someone who sadly has had to have our one of our cows have a C-section, I, I want that experience to I do not want the first experience with that to be uh, at my ranch in the dark. So um, that's that's definitely interesting that you bring that up. Um, you're talking about specialties, and I, I know that this isn't a specialty. I don't believe it is in vet school, um, particularly this topic, but um, because all of vet schools, animal welfare, but something that you have been very involved in across the entire beef industry and the livestock industry in general is leading the charge of like animal welfare, education, advocacy, things of that nature. And it's one of the pillars that you are another pillar that you are very well known for. You lead a lot of conversations in that area through your work with McDonald's, the Yum Animal Welfare Council. For those listeners who are not familiar with Yum, that is the corporation that is in charge of Pizza Hut and Taco Bell and A&W. I know that because I'm a former Pizza Hut employee, um, and and then also as the the chair of the Animal Welfare Committee with NCBA. So, hearkening back to the past again, it seems like right now a lot of animal welfare conversations um, they don't seem to be as heightened. HSUS and PETA do not seem to be as like um, attacking us as much, maybe is the word I'm using. But how have those discussions changed over time from when you first got started? to now like what maybe is the focus now of those conversations yeah that you know i got into animal welfare just because it's what we do every day and you know i did my degrees in in ruminant nutrition and production and in veterinary medicine and so it was a natural fold for me to combine animal health and and well-being and we did a survey at mcdonald's uh, years ago of consumers and asked them what animal welfare was and we got so many different answers. Nobody can agree on it. But the two things that came out of that survey were a, a, a safe food product comes from a healthy animal. And a healthy animal is one that had good animal welfare. And so health became core to the animal welfare discussion. And, you know, the activists, they came out really attacking in the, you know, when we first started out. I mean, they would even follow me to presentations I would give. I had them show up, take pictures of me in the parking lot at K-State's vet school one day. And oh yeah, it was it was something else. And and my thing is is just is just being brutally honest. All right. We have nothing to hide. We're transparent. But yet when we're transparent, we also show the the lies and the deceit of people trying to abolish animal agriculture, right? And so we just kind of expose those those discussions to support and to to defend uh, the beef industry or the swine industry, whatever. And what I've seen change is, you know, the undercover uh, videos still happen. Um, 
but but those have always been something that we've we've coached on we've talked to people um we we can't keep people from doing you know i i keep saying that animal rights activists use animal abuse cases to drive animal welfare uh legislation and animal rights believe that animals have the same right as humans and that's a moral belief, right? It's not scientific. I can't find a stack of papers and religion, politics, animal rights, whatever. Um, but if you think animals have the same rights as humans, you, you won't eat. OK, so there's a very small subset of people in our in our society. Animal abuse is animal cruelty. None of us uh, stand for that. And animal welfare is what we do. It's doing the chores. It's taking care of the animals that take care of us through vaccination, shelter, food, nutrition, uh, things to that nature. So I can't apply science to that and and improve animal animal welfare. So what I've seen over the last few years is that the animal rightists were driven towards political action campaigns, legislation, right? And so there were all these ballot initiatives, and we've seen a few since then, but that takes a lot of time and a lot of money. And so applying pressure to a retail outlet can get you a snap decision. It, it, it takes less time, and, and then they masquerade as the consumer, right? 1.7% of Americans farm and ranch, and that means 98% of Americans don't. And so they come in and say, you know, we're not farmers and ranchers. We represent the consumer, which is wrong because they're vegetarians. Um, but it's a small but, segment of the yeah. And so, so they they masquerade as this as something they're not. And and so then they buy shares in these companies and they try to get with this with the uh, boards of these companies and the execs in these companies. And they they really use a lot of pressure on retail. And we we have to remember this. All right. Restaurants will make decisions that grocers can't. Restaurants uh, feed the, the rich. They don't take SNAP coupons or food stamps. Um, and they, they only, they're there for people who can afford to have someone else plan the meal, cook the meal, and do the dishes. So they can raise prices. They can change what they ask for and, and because they're selling to people who have a lot, have their fluent. Um, you go to the grocery store, that's where the SNAP coupons feed the people that can't can't feed themselves. And so when we start to make SNAP decisions, the, the grocers won't follow what the what some of the restaurants will. And so helping restaurants understand some of the things that they're doing, that that when we look at poverty in this country, and this really gets down to the reason why I got involved in it is if you increase the price of food, which is the number one variable for determining poverty in the United States, without increasing incomes, you will increase poverty in our country. And, and so, so what we have to do is we have to educate, we have to communicate, and really somebody said, well, what do you do? And it's, it's okay, I, I go to the restaurants and I say, hey, have you seen don't don't just fall for what the NGO is is asking you to do because number one it's probably not true, and then listen to the to the restaurant groups and come back to our industry and say hey if we do this, it'll make it easier on our retail partners. And so I guess what I've seen the biggest change is going from legislative initiatives 
to to attacking individual corporations to get snap decisions made in their supply chain. Um, and and that's where we have to apply the education. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree with everything you're saying there. And it's it, it wasn't like that change from legislation, ballot initiatives. I, I well remember the ballot initiative in, in Ohio um, when they were trying to establish that, that uh, I can't remember what it was called, but you know, that ballot initiative that was happening there you know, now we have this big proposition in California. And I think it's been a gradual change that I didn't, I mean, I didn't even realize it was happening until you pointed out here that now they're, you know, animal rightists, which I think is a great term, by the way, because it's so hard to say animal rights activists all the time. I just, animal rightists is way better. Um, that that shift just going after a particular retailer um, or a restaurant, I think that that, I mean, that hits the nail right in the head. That is exactly what's happened. And um, you mentioned those undercover videos. I remember when I worked at NCBA and we had the issue, I was on the issues team and, and we prepared for, you know, we were always prepared for like the video of the month, you know, um, and especially coming up on holidays like Christmas or Easter, we knew um, there was going to be like a, at Christmas, there was going to be a beef video and at Easter there might be a pig one because, you know, they would take the videos and then sit on them for two or three months or however long it took kind of to build their case. So from that standpoint, I'm really glad that two things have happened is that they moved away from that. And also that I think that um, a lot of the bad actors have been identified and have been, you know, gotten out of business based on some of that poor behavior and animal handling that we saw. So that's definitely a relief. Um, you were speaking about like transparency and we have nothing to hide. And I think that that's really important. Um, and you kind of address that in, in your TV show that you have doc talk, um, which is massive hit on RFD TV. Can you tell us more about, about the show how it came about, your goal, you know, just, just tell us about the show for those who um, either don't watch RFD TV or don't have it. Um, maybe they'll subscribe after hearing about your show. Well, it'd be great. But, uh, you know, it's such a, everything in life. I've just been so blessed and lucky. But, I, you know, I, I was working as an extension specialist at K-State and they came downstairs and they said, hey, this TV show, Ag AM in Kansas, wants you to shoot a five minute clip on animal welfare. So I went down the parking lot, windy day clipped the mic on, talked for five minutes. And all of a sudden the guy showed up the next week and said, Hey, can you talk about something else for five minutes? I'm like, sure. So did it for five minutes. And then they said, Hey, we want to dedicate Monday to, to something in vet med or animal health. And we have five days and Monday will be, we're going to just call it doc talk. And I said, okay. So I said, you know, it'd be better if I grabbed a couple of my buddies and we just have a coffee table discussion about a subject and they're like can you do that and i said sure so i'd grab mike appley or or matt meisner or casey olson or chris reinhardt and we just talk about something and it was just in kansas and we were doing this and and so then they said hey we think rfd wants to have this show and would you be interested in doing it and so this was 13 years ago and i said Sure. So we started shooting it and we would just take our Monday Ag AM in Kansas show and ship it to RFD to to start out. And I think they had like a hundred and fifty thousand viewers the first year. And and that's a lot. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, but but and it was Monday afternoon at three thirty. Um, <laughs> that seems like a lot for a Monday in the middle of the day. Right after Porter Wagner. Um, and, um, and so, so anyway, <laughs> we started doing the show and, 
everybody's like, well, how can you come up with that many topics? And I'm like, have you ever seen the Merck manual? I mean, <laughs> I can come up with so many different uh, topics that it's just, you know, it's, it's easy. And, and we just have a very down to earth discussion about it. And it's, and, and just to make it so that people who are watching can take complex topics and we make, you know, make just, we just cookbook it down as if I'm standing in the barnyard with you or we're sitting at the kitchen table and Hey, this is what's happening with grass tetany. This is what happens when you're having cows calving and Here's what calf scours, the new technology. But anyway, so we did this for four or five years and the owners of the show were like, hey, you know, we haven't really paid you anything. <laughs> You've been doing this for free for 13 years? I, I, I was at K-State, so I wasn't, you know. Yeah, so I didn't. What are you doing? Well, and so they said, you want to be a part owner? And I'm like, yeah, I got to find out from K-State if I can do that. And so they said, K-State's like, sure. And so I became 20% owner. And then since then, we've had a couple of people uh, sell out. So there's three of us that own the show. Our headquarters is in Silver Lake, Kansas. And now we have 4 million viewers uh, a week. And and now we're on Monday, Friday, and Saturdays. Friday oh, my Saturdays. gosh. Uh, and, and then we probably have 1 or 2 million viewers on our, on our YouTube channel. Uh, as well so it's been just and then the emails i get from producers and pictures and things that they're doing around the country and and they recommend their veterinarian to be on the show so we go and try to facilitate that as much as we can and and it's just been uh, a blessing we're signed up we're, we're sponsored through 2025 um so so we'll we'll hit 600 episodes this year of the show and, um, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's been a blessing and, and we've kept it as rural as, as it can be. And, and we've done it with the goal of helping, uh, people stay relevant with practical topics, uh, and bringing world experts, uh, into your house. That is amazing. Four million viewers, is that what you said? Yeah, we our peak we were at nine million. Our peak was nine. And and it gets a little bit overwhelming and um at times, but but uh you know it's and you know it, it's it's just been it's just been a lot of fun and, and uh it's a it's a pretty low budget deal um <laughs> for what we do, but uh we sure do have fun and uh, and the producers, the, the most heartfelt thing is, is the, the producers enjoy it and veterinarians enjoy it. And you would be amazed at how many FFA, uh, junior colleges, animal science departments, and vet schools use the, the archived videos to teach. Yeah. I, I had a young lady come up to me and said, you were my favorite professor at middle Tennessee state. And I said, well, I didn't teach at middle Tennessee state. And she goes, we had your videos every day in our animal science class. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so yeah, it's been a lot of fun. That's awesome. I mean, I saw, so I was looking at your Facebook page for Doc Talk earlier and you have a bunch of followers, followers there too. I mean, this, this is just great um, that you've been able to reach that many people. So you look like you're in like a studio when you do these. Oh, it looks like it. 
because you have the DT behind you. I'm looking at like the most recent one last week. Is this like somewhere? You mean you don't travel to Silver Wake three times a week? Are you guys like batch filming these? No, that that is just a pop up set that comes in a tote that I carry, and I have a bag of cameras with stands, and so I shoot them in churches. Uh, I shoot it in uh, people's offices. Um, when I say we're low budget, I mean, my wife, it, I love her. She's not low budget. All right. But she, she films them. And so Cindy films them and, uh, and I line up the content and host them. And then Heather and Kelly are my partners in the show. They're in Silver Lake and they do the production and we have B-roll for 13 years because we go out and do production videos for ranches, for cow calf operations, for packers and, and, and for NCBA and different groups like that, we have a contract business there. But they then I uplink, upload the the three camera shots and upload the mics, and then they put together the shows and get them out to RFD. That's awesome. That's so cool. Um, although you've spoken, you're coming up on your like 1,000th public speaking event. I know, and I know you get paid for that stuff. And I can't believe you were doing a show for 13 years and not getting paid, Doctor Dan. Well, I did after after four or five. Okay, so so okay. well, that, that, uh, and, yeah, and and I'll be honest, I'm gonna guess that of my public speaking, depending on where it is, that uh, I've probably gotten paid for about thirty or forty percent of the gigs. <laughs> oh, doctor, I know. And when people like, if the Kansas Farm Bureau calls me up and they said, "Hey, can you come do the." Cherokee County Farm Bureau meeting, I would say yes. And they'd say, what do we owe you? And I say mileage and a meal. Yeah, and, that's what, and that's so, doing your, your public service there. That's very kind. I did. And, um, and I honestly, it's, that was my peace of mind because you're going so hard and you're doing so many things and so many balls in the air that windshield time to serve people in agriculture, um, and get there and, get to break bread with people that are, that are in our business um, and share our joys and concerns and answers to prayers and, and things like that. That's, that was, that, that is when I'm the most comfortable and it's just such a relief. So I, instead of paying for therapy, you can look at it. I might not got paid, but a I wouldn't money on therapy. All right. So that's I'm right. With, I was with my people. That's good. Those uh, county meetings, there's a lot of um, takeaways to do from the, to do from those. I actually spoke, um, I've spoken at a lot of places. I've done a lot of those county farm bureau meetings. I had never spoken at my home county. Um, I had never spoken like in my home county until last fall. And that was the most terrifying experience than, than like any of the other stuff I've done speaking. That was a terrifying experience was to speak to 30 people or 40 people. How many were there? that I knew and who'd known me my whole life. So, um, but thank you for, for doing your, um, community part to keep the fellowship in the beef industry. Cause that is important and needed. Um, so I know another one of your ventures, you have a ton of them, um, is production animal consultation. And so you've launched that. I know that that's really big and with feedlots and do a lot of consulting there. Can you tell us more about that? Um, how you determined that there was a need for it and maybe more about, I mean, I know it says consultation in the title, but more about, you know, what you're doing with that. Yep. So 
Production Animal Consultation was a group of veterinarians that were getting together informally out in Oakley, Kansas, in the basement of a bank. And we would show up once a quarter to just have a meeting about what we were seeing in practice, um, what we were, maybe issues we were having with labor or, you know, veterinary medicine or helping feedlots. And we were, we were meeting informally. And then, oh, probably 10, 12 years ago, uh, it was decided that six of our veterinarians decided to form this production animal consultation, which then became kind of a service center for, for veterinary feedlot consultants. And we developed, and, and I was working at it through K-State. And again, I felt like it was my service to help these. And about, I think, six or seven years ago, they asked me to, to come in as an owner and a, a partner. And again, I made sure that it passed all the conflict of interest uh, sniff tests at K-State before we did it. But um, so so what PAC has is a, is a group of, of like-minded veterinarians to serve people in the feedlot industry. We, it's called production animal consultation, but really PAC is about people and cattle, okay? I like and, that, that's good. Uh, and so that's what we do. And we have four uh, prong approach to this. One is through education and we have annual meetings. We have uh, caregiver stockmanship meetings. We have, uh, we have a person that, that is on uh, horseback on horsemanship that he'll come to your yard with a trailer, teach your guys, things on tack and, and how to ride pins and how to treat your horses. We have bilingual specialists that go in and train on processing and hospitals. Um, and then we have our big meeting once a year for all our feed yards. Uh, we have 150 feed yards that we serve, um, about 30% of the cattle in the U.S. Um, Kansas, Nebraska, Colorado, Iowa are our sweet spots. And then what we'll uh, do, we have a database service. We have uh, 12 years, 55 million head of feedlot data used to support our feedlots in making decisions when we consult. And so we can do predictive modeling and things to that nature, but we really try to be data-driven, uh, data and relationship-driven. Uh, it's not just transactional. And then we have a research wing where we have people, DVM, PhDs, we have four of us in the company that uh, we do research within people's operations to get answers to, to issues. And then we also do a lot of contract research for pharmaceutical companies, new product development, things of that nature in, in real world settings. But our baseline is, and, and our bread and butter are boots on the ground, in feed yards every day, consulting, working with feedlot operators, working with processing crews, working with doctors, working with feed, uh, delivery. Uh, and so we have 12 veterinarians that work in the, in feed yards. We have 47 veterinary clinics, uh, across the Western U S that do cow calf, uh, production medicine that are also part of this. And so at the end of the day, we touch about 3 million head of cattle on feed and a million pairs of, of cows and 600,000 stalkers. And, and this is all about bringing a, a great service relationship, trust, uh, and uh, service to improvement of cattle health, performance, and production through the use of data and research. I think that you said a word there that's so important, and that's trust. And that's not just, I mean, trust plays such a huge role in 
in every part of our lives. Like, you know, whether we're trying to, whether we want consumers and grocery shoppers to trust us as veterinarians, as ranchers, as academia, whether we want our fellow producers to trust us when we're, when you're, you know, when you're teaching a course or when you're consulting, I I think trust is, it's not, I think it's not underappreciated. I just don't think it gets the attention that it probably deserves because that's just, it takes a lot of work to build trust and then to retain it and keep it going. Um, that goes along with transparency and, and things of that nature. And so that's really important. Um, and how long have you been, in, like, remind us again, how long have you been with the uh, people and cattle? But I like that title a lot, but production animal consultation. I've, I've been practicing with, with them for seven years. And, um, you know, before that I was, I was doing it uh, as a consultant for them. And now I'm back in feed yards. Uh, I've worked with yards down Southwest Kansas and Ingalls and, and Cimarron and, and Dodge City. And then I have yards up here in Iowa and eastern Nebraska uh, that I work with. So right now um, we have a house in Kansas. We have a house in Iowa. Um, and uh, it's, it's, been, it's been great. And, you know, the trust thing is this, is, is that our feed yards know that we are going to make the best decision for them and their cattle. And we, we build that trust uh, through through day-to-day uh, actions and interactions. And trust is not something that you walk in and immediately everybody's like, well, I just trust it. It takes so many little itty-bitty interactions and discussions until you get to the point where, okay, we're going to have the really hard discussions. You don't start out with those. You, you build up to a point where you can have those. And so we have the hard discussions on, People within the operation, leadership within the operation. Um, you know, the, Gary Gentry used to say to me, he was a le- manager at Lubbock County Feed Yard, and he'd say the three most inconsistent things in the world are cattle, weather, and people. And those are the three things that we constantly are, are working with, uh, trying to make sure that. And, and the other thing is, is we have to be okay to just row row the boat and and pound the rock. We get to do some fun things and and do, but but at the end of the day, going to the feed yards, being in the feed yards, feeding cattle, getting a new group in, shipping an old, a, a a finished group out, row the boat, keep doing this that consistently brings the cash flow in, and understanding that that's it's not glamorous, but it's what we do. Um. While, while always searching to do something a little bit better uh, for health or for performance or food, food safety or antibiotic usage, all that wrapped into one um, is, is, is what we're trying to do through, through uh, PAC. That's so, I mean, I think that's really interesting. You're talking about that. And outside of the beef industry, we talk about, and you know, you've heard this, like you got to feed the cows, you know, your daily stuff. That's literally what the, the daily stuff on a feed yard is getting the cattle fed. And, but it's those little things that take a little bit more extra effort to devote time or education to, or, or finding a way to improve um, that can really add up and, and take it to the next level. And I'm assuming that the, the clients that you have at the different feed yards are the kind of people and oper- in operations that are um, taking those steps because they want to be successful. They want to be leaders. They want to do the right thing to, 
to keep, you know, moving ahead and, and on that forward path. Yeah, we, you know, there's so many times that my clients teach me. Um, and there's so many times that, that I, you know, our job is to, to absorb it all, is to, to watch ingenuity, watch, uh, and we get to work with the best of the best. And so, um, you know, as we take on new clients, um, we're looking for people that, that want to go on that journey with us that uh, share core values of, of trust, integrity, uh, you know, looking to get better uh, and, and really want to be in the beef business, right? And, and so when we start to talk about sustainability, it's not about saving the planet. It's about figuring out what we can do together to keep the industry moving forward and keeping people and families and heritage and that in business. And so that's what that's what we're focused on. And, and we, you know, we've taken on a, a, quite a few new clients this year um, and it just continues to grow. Um, and it's just a it's a culture that we built uh, around faith. Um, and and we're we're not apologetic about that. As a matter of fact, uh, we're proud of it. And we'll continue to do that because we're a faith based industry. That's, well, that's very true. That that is absolutely true. Speaking of teaching, you said that your clients teach, um, have taught you a lot and that they teach you things. And obviously you have this very long career and success in teaching and, and working with students and things. And so now you know this, um, and I tell people this a lot, but our listeners don't know this. And so um, you basically launched my career in the beef industry. Um, you opened the door for me so that I could get in the door and get started. And, and, you know, had you not done that for me, I would not be sitting here talking to you like this today. And I cannot imagine, um, first off, I owe you a tremendous thankful thank you for that. And I will always be very grateful to you for giving me that first step. Um, but I know that I am not the only person that this, that you have opened doors for and have had a great impact on. And so my question for you is, what has working with students and in academia over the past 20 years, like, what has that meant to you? I know what you and your influence has meant to me. What has working with students meant to you? Well, it's, it's everything. If you, if you're going to be at a university and you don't want to be around students and you need to find a different job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I agree with you. I just, I love that you have, you're just always very direct. That's one of my favorite things. So anyway, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, there are USDA experiment stations for people. That <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I guess the thing, and I, I don't, you know, I'm just so humbled by your words because you, I mean, you are, you took it off. It took off like crazy and all that you've done. And, and I'm just so proud of you. And, and, um, thankful um, because uh, at the end of the day, a lot of people took chances on me. Uh, people opened doors and said, yeah. And I'm like, you're really going to let me do this? And, and, <laughs> and I've always had that mentality of students are not tomorrow's leaders. They're, I mean, we have 18-year-old, 19-year-old kids driving $50 million tanks, right? Um, they can probably run a beef center or they can run a, you know, whatever. So my job was to, to, to create opportunity, get resources and empower students to, 
to make the, the decisions themselves and take off with a safety net behind them, right? That gives you confidence. And, and I could be that safety net. And, um, and so the students and the stakeholders, I keep saying that, but the two most important groups of people for universities uh, to listen to are your students and the people out in the, in the trenches that you support. And if you take care of those two groups, uh, you'll never have to worry about enrollment. You'll never have to worry about research dollars. You'll never have to worry about extension being supported because you're doing your job. And, um, and, and if you have a passion for people, which I do, people is, is the business, right? And it is about, if you came to me and said, I have a flat tire, I'm stuck in Holton, Kansas. Can you help me? I would drop what I'm doing and I would get my pickup and I would go help you. Or I would call somebody that would get there sooner, right? Um, but that's, it's, it's, it's about serving others and not serving yourself. And you can be, you know, and so that's, that's the whole purpose. And that's, if anything in academia, yeah, we go through theory. We, we talk about things you can't learn in a book, um, but it's about the things we can provide outside of the classroom that truly are the educational and, and inspirational opportunities for the, the students. And that's what, what drove me. I love to be in the classroom and, and that was fun. And I love getting to meet the students. And then the ones that had a passion, they'd show up at your office and say, kind of like to do something like that. I'm like, okay. I've never had a student come in and say, I want to work for you. And I said, no, I've never had anybody ask for a day off that's worked for me and said, no, because the people that you work with and the people that, that the like-minded people that come to work, you know, they're doing their job. You know, they need a break. You know that they're, you know, they're going to be great. And so it's, it's been a luxury to be able to do that. Um, but, uh, it, it's so humbling, uh, and it's a delayed gratification. I can't explain, but I, I didn't really do that much besides say, Oh, okay, here's the keys, drive it. <laughs> Somebody has to open the door. I mean, we talk, um, the late, uh, and revered Dr. Barry Flinchbaugh always talked about their Kings and their King makers. And, um, I'm not saying that I am a king. That's not what I'm getting at. But you are definitely a, a, a king maker. You have been there to elevate and provide a pathway for countless number of students and veterinary students and stakeholders. And you know, we all owe you a great debt, great debt of debt, a great debt of gratitude. For I talk and write for a living. Can you tell? I can't even get the word gratitude out. <laughs> yeah, but when you mentioned when you mentioned Barry Flinchbaugh, and then I immediately think of Dan Upson and the I mean, those were my mentors and as, as a faculty member, right? I'm like, okay, I see what they're doing. I see, I see how people need it, what they're doing and, and how it, how it really elevates our students in our university, because you're only as good as your, as your students, the university is only as good as its stakeholders and students. And, um, you know, you guys, when you guys came through, I, I, brag on your your group but that's like having the the final four championship team of 
of students when you guys came through was a different, just a different level. And, and I was very, very blessed. Y'all, y'all provided me such a rich experience in academia that that was fun. Well, that seems true to your form. We're talking about you and you've flipped it around and made it kind words about other people. So thank you. I don't feel like I warrant those, but thank you. That You're right. There was a, it was a very special, very cool group of people that we uh, that I got to work with when we were kind of in the trenches there. Um, you know, you're talking about students that are coming in and taking the initiative and, and, you know, wanting to work with you or wanting to explore new areas. What advice do you have for students that are, you know, that maybe they want to make a difference, that they want to level up, you know, and not just veterinary students, but, you know, undergraduate students. I was a master's student, I think, when I, you know, first got to working with you. You know, what, what can you offer those students as advice? Yeah, the network, 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 network. Um, it, it seems like a cliche, but go to the extra meetings that people are, that do what you want to do for a living are at because it is a small group. And once you get in it and get to learning the people and things of that nature, you know, um, that learn as much as you possibly can every day. Uh, it is, it's a relief, right? You're so worried about knowing everything or telling people that you know everything that you need to take the pressure off because I'm still learning every day. And there comes a point in time and a balance when it's okay, you know, that you accept that. Um, but the sooner you accept that, um, you know, the, the, the more fun it is because now it's like, it's just about learning. It's not about just closing the deal or getting the job or getting that grade or, or things like that. It really is about enjoying the process. Um, because the worst day for me when I was a student was graduation. Uh, yeah. Cause you're like, now what, you know? And, and so, so it, it, it and, and you always feel that way at the end of a job or the end of a game or the end of a class, you know, it's like, wow, that was now it's over. And, and so enjoying getting from point A to point B is something that, that I'd say work with good people. Um, and then the other one that I harp on our students every time is the triad of physical, mental, and spiritual health. And if you can go jog for 30 minutes a day, you can crack open a, a, the good book for 10 minutes. And, and, and so maintaining that, that balance, network, learn as much as you can, and, and kind of be holistic in your physical, mental, and, and spiritual health, um, practice it. Because just like running a marathon, the mental and spiritual health thing takes building blocks to get to a, to a different level, but it will serve you in your career in handling people and handling situations and handling uh, uh, putting priorities and, and being able to handle with, with humility rather than, um, you know, something that you don't want to be remembered for. That's so interesting. You said the um, the networking and then the triad there on the networking. I remember thinking like that is a, I remember, I mean, every undergraduate student has heard network, how important that is. And, um, and I always think like, it just, it feels so cliche because people ask, you know, what's your piece of advice? And a lot of times people say networking and I think, oh man, that's just, is that really valuable? But it, it just, it is, it's just, it's not so much meet people so they can do something for you. It's just, Get out and talk to people because you will learn more things. Um, 
networking is what, I mean, sadly, that was why I left the VPAT Institute is because I, the, the person who interviewed me for my job at NCBA was also one of my references. So my advice is if you can ever be interviewed by a reference, do that. That helps a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, had I not networked, I wouldn't have like met you. I wouldn't have this career. I wouldn't have this relationship, this, you know, friendship with you and all these other people. And it's not about meeting people so they can do something for you. Like as we meet people and are exposed to more, you know, diverse groups of people, diverse thought processes, like that enriches our lives. It fulfills us. It's what, I mean, that's why we're here. That's why God put us on this earth is so that we could, you know, meet, meet people and, and have fulfilling lives. And then, you know, your the, the triangle, the triad there at the end, the physical, spiritual, mental health. I think sadly, I feel like people don't give that spiritual mental part as much attention as it probably needs, but it is, it can be draining and, and people need a way to, we all need a way to um, de-stress maybe isn't the right I tell, word. I, the other thing I tell the students is get over yourself um, yeah. because you're not the most important person in the world. And, and I, 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 you know, if I got hit by a bus uh, tomorrow, the, the question that they'd ask at Iowa state was, did somebody get his keys? Right. I mean, I mean, your family's going to get over it, right? You want them to. And, and so, so having that in your brain of, of work hard, be humble, prioritize, you know, what, what is, is going to happen is, is the, all of it is, is just so important as you go through it, because it doesn't mean you don't work hard. It means you put it in perspective and not everything's a crisis. And, and so, so yeah, so those are just some things that, I love the students and, and doing talks on career risk management and things like that with them because that's that's it's so fun to watch them when they say, yeah, kind of get over yourself. You know, <laughs> the president of the United States got hit by a bus, which we are not condoning. Um, it, just think that's of how bad. fast we I mean, how fast we'd swear in the next person. Yeah. I mean, that day. <laughs> and how little would probably change in your life. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, as morbid as that sounds, yes, you know, you're not wrong in that respect. Um, and that's a, a whole, I, I was just, I hope that people are listening up because that is a lot of really great advice. And I was very fortunate and privileged to be able to work with you one-on-one -on -one and have known you for many years now. And um, I hope that there are a lot of people listening to this that are jealous and wish that they could get to know you. But. It's time for our famous three. So these last questions, we ask these of everybody and I used to call them rapid fire, but they're not like fast. So I'm just going to call them wrap up questions or exit right. questions, whatever. Um, I need to brand them a different way. It's, I didn't do a good job of that. But so the first one is what is your favorite beef related book or resource? It doesn't have to be a textbook, but you know, Well, I mean, my, my favorite beef related book is the last uh, cattle drive. That, oh, okay. that that is a fiction um, uh -huh. book about the last cattle drive in Kansas from Gorham to the Kansas City Stockyards. It's oh, it's cool. a that's a cool book. It's a fun, 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 fun book. And um, but for me on on just go to books, um, you know, probably probably gonna say the beef NRC. Okay. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> sorry. 
<laughs> looking up requirements and that, but that I use that one or, or the BQA manual um, are, are my, are a lot of times uh, the ones that I am digging in. And, and now with the internet, uh, you know, maybe my, my favorite uh, beef sites, the University of Nebraska's um, uh, beef and Iowa, the Iowa Beef Center both have tremendous website materials. So that I guess they're not books, but they would be things that I, I use routinely. Yeah. That's it. I mean, I've asked this question several times. I've never heard the last cattle drive. So I wrote that book down so that I can look it up. Um, so what is a book that's not related to cows or the beef industry that you're currently reading or, or one that you really like? No ego. I brought it with me. This thing is pretty good. I've just gotten in the middle of it. And uh, yeah, the book is called uh, No Ego. And it's how leaders can cut the cost of workplace drama and end entitlement. And it's a short read. It's a very, uh, it's a very easy read. And it's just talking about how much time we spent, spend day to day in businesses uh, dealing with, with drama and how much, how much it actually costs our society and costs your business. And, but more importantly, it's just emotionally draining. And, you know, and, and that's one of the things I've, had to really work on is removing emotion and and trying to help remove turmoil in in workplaces because especially in academia because there's no you know there's just no uh reprimand or you know everybody can just kind of fire off and so trying to turn it around instead of open door policies to hear people jockey for position and position that position themselves or or put somebody else down, uh, really taking the conversations to, okay, if you're king for day, how does it, or queen for day, how does it make it, how does it look great? Then we start talking about solutions rather than, than problems. So, and, and I'm always looking for ways to, to get better, um, at being a better person and, and spouse or whatever. So, I, I I still got a lot of work to do, Brandy. You you've been very kind to me, but uh, you know it's 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 about being a better version of yourself tomorrow. I think that's I mean that's really admirable. So many people think this is the way I am, and you know y'all just deal with it. And I think that's really admirable to try to get you know to better ourselves. Um, there's a commercial, and it's a noble commercial. It's been during the draft. I think regular listeners know that I am a massive NFL fan. And so the noble commercial has Deuce Vaughn, and he's talking about how, like, he wants to get 1% better every day. And he's obviously talking about football. But um, I think, you know, you hit the nail there on the head that, like, we should all be trying to get better because, you know, none of us are perfect. You know, we can strive for that, but we're not perfect. And if we can work to get better a little bit every day, we can not only improve our lives, but improve those around us those around us the better that you are for yourself the better you are for others and uh um, (laughs) that's true and you know i haven't handled everything correctly there's there's times when you look back in in your career with your family or or with your community and it always comes back to the uh selfishness or worldly things that get in the way and and if you can understand there's enough to go around and everybody's gonna get their fair share or more, um, then you then you can you can start to internalize it. But that's really some of the things that 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 we're working on and 
and but but uh, yeah, everybody thinks that you know that everybody has the perfect life, and I think Facebook kind of does some of that, right? You're either on there about something tragic or something great, and and it's not just about waking up every morning and, and pounding the rock, uh, <laughs> it's, and how boring it's going to be, and how how we're going to have so many little interactions during the day of building trust and, and, and providing uh, character and leadership that, that those, those are the, those are the true, true marks. I think that, I mean, again, that's just a huge sign of growth when we can look back and realize that, Hey, maybe I could have handled that better, you know, and then learning from that, that's a sign of growth. And so I, I appreciate you. It's not what I thought we were gonna talk about today, but I'm glad that you brought it up and talked about it. <laughs> you bet. Um, Okay, and so this last question, this last uh, exit question is, what trait do you find admirable in others that has helped them reach, reach success? The, I mean, the number one is, is just selflessness. It's, it's, it's putting others first. Love, care, integrity, um, you know, core values. Those, but selflessness um, is is number one not asking what can others do for you but you know asking you know what can i what can i do to help you and um and and just being there being present i uh, i can't that was we're just getting very feely today and i have loved it i loved it this was great um i, I mean i just i'm like nodding the audience can't see me but i'm nodding my head in agreement and i just think that outside of what career we're in, that that should be our goal. And um, I, I appreciate you bringing that up and, and being so personable and open about it. I can't think of a more like heartwarming, kind way uh, to end the show for the day. So um, that is all we have today. That is all we have for today. Thank you so much for talking with us. Um, I appreciate you donating your time to talking to us on the, on the show for your wisdom for your guidance, for your um, mentorship, and then everything that you've done for the beef industry um, cannot go on, is not unnoticed and is not unappreciated. Um, if people want to find you on social media or the show, Doc Talk or anything like that, where can they go do that? This is your, your chance to plug it all. Yeah, well, we have a website for Doc Talk. It's www.doctalktv.com. And and then uh, from there, emails can go in and they flow to me. And then, uh, you know, my email is thompsondvm at gmail.com for, for, for the pack or production animal consultation uh, inquiries or, or uh, if you have speaking interests in, in, in uh, people for, for, for speaking or things of that nature. I, we will. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. And we will make sure to put those things um, in the show notes. So those of you listening on your um, mobile devices or on the desktop version can scroll to see that. So just remember, um, there's no P in Thompson. That's what everybody it's uh, right. it's, it's the Scottish version um, and a Scottish Irish version instead of the English. Um, but uh, the, the yeah. So but anyway, thanks, Brandy. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Dan. Um, and he, like he said, it is Dr. Thompson. That's T-H-O-M-S-O-N. There is no P. So if you were searching, if you're trying to do a Google search for him, make sure you pull that extra consonant out. So 
Well, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you all to listening. And we will see you next week on the Beef Podcast.